items that I believe the writers are telling us that we need to integrate into our life. And we're going to look at Jude today. I believe Jude is one of the most overlooked books of the New Testament and probably one of the most fascinating books of the New Testament. I could really, I could spend several weeks preaching from this book and probably never come close to scratching the surface of all that the book has to offer. Today, we're going to do an overview of the book, and we'll look at three things that Jude uh, was telling his readers and telling us today to watch out for. Why don't you stand as we read the word today? I want to read the first four verses, and then we're going to skip down to verse 17. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called... That's us. We've been called. This book's for us. Who are loved in God the Father. Hallelujah. We are loved and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. God always does things abundantly. He doesn't just give us enough. He gives us more than enough. Verse 3 says, Dear friends, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Friends of Wenatchee First Assembly, we need to contend for the faith in 2022 here in the United States of America. We need to contend for the faith. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Then let's go down to verse 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, believers, brothers and sisters here at Wenatchee First Assembly, those who are watching live stream, it says... Build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the spirit, keeping yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who do doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you. You can put your name in there. (laughs) I can't do it on myself. But to him who is able to keep Jerry from stumbling and to present me before the Lord at his glorious presence without fault and without or with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord 
before all ages, now and forever. And let's all say it together, amen. You may be seated. Let me give you just a little background before we get to our three points, okay? Jude is written by a man named Jude. He identifies himself. He refers to himself as the brother of James, probably the James that wrote the book of James. And most scholars believe that James and Jude were either cousins or half-brothers of Jesus. But there was some connection there. It appears that Jude was not a follower of Jesus while Jesus was on earth. It wasn't until after the death and resurrection of Jesus that Jude eventually became not only a follower of Christ, but a leader in the church. The book of Jude, compared to the second chapter of 2 Peter, are so similar. And you can do the research for yourself. Read the book of Jude, read 2 Peter chapter 2. It is obvious that one used the other for a source. Now we know that Mark is the oldest gospel, and many of the other gospel writers referred to the book of Mark as they were writing their gospel. So that's nothing new, but it's something to keep in the back of our mind. They were either written from the same person, or the person who wrote them referred to the others as a source. It's kind of a coin toss. If you want to believe, you know, Peter influenced Jude or Jude influenced Peter. I read several commentaries this week. Scholars seem to be pretty evenly divided on which book was written first. It's irrelevant, just kind of interesting. Jude is interesting because he quotes from some books that were embraced by the culture and the people of the day that are not part of our Bible. They're not part of our scripture. For instance, Jude refers to the assumption of Moses. Our Bible doesn't include the assumption of Moses. He refers to the book of Enoch. Well, as Protestants, we don't have the book of Enoch in our scriptures. But Jude knew that these books were really popular among his readers. So what did he do? He made a connection. He made a bridge. That's always important. When you're talking to somebody, find some way that you can bridge your relationship to them, maybe a common denominator of some kind. And Jude is very wise here in that he knows that these are popular books. So he used the familiarity of the assumption of Moses and, and Enoch to make his point. Very wise. He also uses some really rapid-fire Old Testament references. That's the part that I didn't read this morning. Verses 5 through 16. These rapid-fire Old Testament references. And all he does is mention these people by name. Why? Because he knew that the people he was writing to would understand the full context of the reference. It's like if I were to write you a letter and refer to Pastor Darth, I wouldn't have to say too much because you know who Pastor Darth is. You love him. You've embraced him. He's one of the leaders of our church. You know his character, his integrity. 
But if I was going to write some people in Boston, Massachusetts, that had never heard the name Darth Creek, you see, I would need to expound upon who Darth Creek is. But Jude knew that these Old Testament you know, individuals would be well known to those that he was writing to. So he refers to people like Cain. He talks about the heir of Balaam. He talks about Korah, knowing that his readers would be so familiar with the context that they would immediately pick up on the point he was making. Now, that's not true of you and I today. Today, most of us need to be reminded about what the nature of Balaam's heir was. Or who in the world was Korah? Why did he rebel? So for us, we'd need to go back to the Old Testament. We would need to study some history. We'd need to refresh ourselves. But that wasn't true in the day that Jude was writing and to the people he was writing to. So he wrote the letter to a church, possibly a group of churches, because they had home churches in you know, regional areas then. But his purpose in writing the letter is stated really clearly. We don't have to guess. Verse number three, let's look at it again. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, so he says, this is what I was intending to write about, but now I feel compelled, compelled by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that, but that was the reason that he changed directions in his letter. And I want to urge you, contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. And he, he wanted to talk about the joy of salvation. <laughs> this is what it means to be saved. But you see, a problem had developed in the church. And Jude needed to address it. Some people had come into fellowship they had gained positions of influence, and they were literally tearing the church apart. Not just by their teaching, and they were teaching bad doctrine, but by also in promoting an immoral lifestyle. And Jude wrote in response to this situation. And I think it's applicable to us today. He wrote the letter knowing that the whole church, the sincere believers those who were struggling, and the deceivers. We have people so firm in their faith, nothing that happens is going to shake them. Then we have this people who are, they, they're following Jesus, but they're struggling. They're not rooted enough. And so they're influenced. And then we've got the deceivers. And he knew, Jude knew, that all three groups would hear his voice if he wrote to the church at large. That's why he didn't just write to the deceivers and say, knock it off. He didn't just write to the, you know, the, those who were struggling. And he wrote to the entire church. And he was hoping that those who were sincere in their faith, especially those in leadership, <laughs> would become aware of what was going on and take the appropriate action. That's tough. That's hard leadership. I also believe that he was hoping that the problem characters of the church would hear and would recognize themselves. Because we're always wanting people to allow the Lord to soften their heart. 
to align them with the things of the Holy Spirit. He was hoping that those who were teaching the false doctrine would repent, have a change of attitude. Jude doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't pull any punches here. He makes it really clear, hey, this is important because it's a matter of life and death. There's a real heaven. There's a real hell. These are real issues, and we need to remember that today. See, the problem was not that these individuals were just kind of emphasizing some minor doctrinal differences about styles of worship or mode of baptism, whatever. These people who had wormed their way into the church were attempting to sabotage the very foundation of the Christian faith. As Jude said, it had been taught from the beginning by Jesus, by the apostles. And that foundation we know is love because we learned that the very first lesson in this series, Urgent. These people were attacking the character and the nature of God. They were attacking the work of Jesus. They were distorting the meaning of his death and resurrection. And they were attacking the doctrine of grace deriding God's call to holiness. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy. And Jude says here, these people, these deceivers had perverted, or maybe your translation says changed, the grace of our God into a license for immorality. That's terrible. So well, God's grace will cover it, so just keep on sinning. That's terrible theology, yet it's one that's very attractive to people. See, they didn't teach what the Bible really says, which is God has called us to holiness. But you know, sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we struggle with sexual sins. We need his grace. We need his mercy to experience victory. But instead, what were they teaching? They were saying, well, Sexual sin really doesn't exist anymore because by God's grace, you've been forgiven. You can just do whatever your body wants to do because it's all covered by grace. That is wrong. That was wrong then. That's wrong now. See, a wonderful thing about Christianity is that it teaches that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done how many times you've fallen, how ugly your sins might be, you can be forgiven. That's the wonderful news of the gospel. You can be washed clean. You can be made right with God. You can be given a new life in Christ because God is a God of mercy. We understand that. But we can't take that truth and twist it to the point that we say, well, that means rules don't apply to me. Because they do apply to us. There are people then, there are people today that use that kind of thinking to justify an immoral lifestyle. Maybe it's sexual immorality, but maybe it's just greed. Maybe it's gossip, selfishness. Maybe it's laziness. And they say, well, you know, because of God's grace, I can just do whatever I feel like doing. And Jude is saying, no. 
And the Holy Spirit's saying to us today, no, that's not the case. So then he gives all these examples that we didn't read for the sake of time, but I'd encourage you to, beginning at verse 5 through 16. He gives all these examples of when people continued to rebel against God. And then he said, you know, enough is enough. This generation will not enter the promised land. You're all going to die in the desert. And the next generation will inherit the land of milk and honey. And then he reminded us, or reminds us, I should say, that when the angels rebelled against him, when they abandoned their positions of authority, what happened? They were cast into darkness, a third of the original angels. And then it reminds us of Sodom and Gomorrah. They could have been saved, but they completely and unanimously gave themselves over to pride, to sexual immorality. Ezekiel says those cities were destroyed because they were arrogant and they didn't help the poor and the needy. So here's the thing. I'm going to put this on the screen because I want you to write it down if you're taking notes. This is what Jude is saying. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. There are consequences for our behavior. Now, I know this might seem tough, but friends, that's why it's so urgent. There are consequences to our behavior. Make sure your sins will find you out. Yes, I'm thankful for God's grace. That is not a license for me to do whatever I want to do. God pours out his mercy on his people. But when his people take that attitude of, well, the rules don't apply to me, God's going to give you a wake-up call. He will. And Jude is saying, watch out for that kind of teaching. Watch out for those deceivers. Because they're headed for destruction in their own lives. And if you follow their teaching, if you follow their behavior, you're going to experience the same thing. And he points out several more flags to watch for. And he calls the godless. It's not strange. These are people in the church and he calls them godless. The Greek word translated godless refers to a person who fails to worship. Now, not talking about a liturgical worship. We all have our own types of liturgy, different churches, different... What he's talking about is our lifestyle. <laughs> you might have a religious life, but do you have a devotional life? You might know of God, but do you know God? They didn't have a surrendered life. They didn't have a yielded life. There's a book that came out a couple years ago by Craig Koschel. He is the pastor of Life Church. That's all of you that enjoy version. That is a free resource that was developed by Life Church in Oklahoma City. And Craig Koschel wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. Now listen real carefully. A Christian atheist is one who believes in God but lives as though God doesn't exist. I dare say we have people in our churches here in the Wenatchee Valley who would say, I believe in God, I'll worship God. But if you look at their life, they don't live as if there were a God. 
So it's what Koshil calls Christian atheist. Jude says, watch out, another red flag. He says, these men speak abusively against whatever they don't understand. When you don't understand something, it invokes fear in you, and you generally begin to attack it. Boy, we see that in subcultures in our nation. We see that all the time. For them, there's no room to explore ideas, to discuss or debate opinions. You know, we have people like that today. If you don't agree with them, well, then they believe you're automatically wrong. No two ways about it. They don't want to hear your side. That's why a few weeks ago I preached that sermon, we need to be fast listeners. (laughs) Another red flag, it says people are self-serving, and he talks particularly about pastors here. Because remember, these people were in leadership. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They're all show. (laughs) No go. (laughs) You know, all talk, no action. You know what Jude calls them? He calls them clouds without rain. He calls them trees without fruit. He says they're grumblers, they're fault finders. I was kind of curious what grumbler meant in the original language, so I looked it up in my lexicon. And it refers to the kind of perfectionist for whom nothing is ever good enough. That's what a grumbler is. No matter how good it is, it's never good enough. They're going to gripe and complain and criticize everything. Man, may the Holy Spirit help us that we're never like that. That we're content. If we don't have hot water, at least we're thankful for water. Those are the kind of people that create division. We see it in our nation. We see it in our community. Unfortunately, at times we see it in the church. And that's what's happening here. Those people never would consider themselves enemy of the church. They consider themselves heroes. They consider themselves the brightest and the best, the most intelligent. We're the enlightened ones. Man, but they caused a vision by trying to jockey for power, breaking rules, jockeying for influence. So Jude says, you got to be aware of those kind of people in your community, in your nation, particularly in your church. And even though he goes into a lot of great detail about the kind of problems that that person can cause, and I want want you to pay attention here. My introduction's almost over. (laughs) But this, this really is important. Even though he talks about this, and it's real easy for us to identify those kind of people, that's not the purpose of his letter. The purpose of Jude's letter is not for you to point your finger at somebody this week and say, oh, that's the guy that the pastor was talking about. It's not to turn on the TV and say, oh, that's the politician that's divisive. No, that's not it. Here it is. The purpose of this letter is to encourage you to contend for the faith in your own personal life. 
That's it. Now, if we all do that, then we're good and healthy as a church, right? The purpose is not to see faults in others, but to let the Holy Spirit show us, man, is there anything that has crept into our life? Last week, we talked about choosing influences, right? Today, I want to talk about really excluding influences. <laughs> it's about taking responsibility for what you believe and what you do. The one word I want you to remember today is responsibility. First week was love. Second week was influence. Today is responsibility. Now, I know that was a long introduction. Let me try to get through these three points before... Two o'clock. Um, number one, don't let anyone, don't let anyone get between you and Jesus. Jesus as a person. Okay? Not talking about religion, not talking about a church, not talking about doctrine. I'm just talking about your walk, your intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. Look again at verse 17 and 18. He says, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord foretold. They said in the last times, there'll be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desire. And these are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts, but do not have the spirit. Now we all know one mark of a cult is a leader who kind of takes the place of Jesus in the minds of his followers. It can be a political cult. It can be a cult within a church. But the leader has the last say. Doesn't matter what the Bible says because the leader twisted enough that his followers believe him instead of the word of God. Now we see that in extreme examples. Some of you are old enough to remember guys like Jim Jones and, and David Koresh. But it can happen to some extent even in evangelical churches because we put such a, a, a prize on these celebrity pastors. We give them more power and influence than they deserve or that God ever intended for them to have. And then when they stumble... And fall, it causes people to question their own faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't let anything. Weaken your personal love and faith in Jesus. Man, it breaks my heart when I see a leader fall. It really does. It breaks my heart. There's so many that I tried to nurture and, and help in their formative years here at First Assembly who are not even living for the Lord now. And that hurts. And I'm disappointed by it. But you know something? It doesn't change what I believe about Jesus. It doesn't change what I believe about Jesus just because one of my spiritual heroes falls. I mean, I've talked to people who say, well, I'm just not following Christ anymore because they're all hypocrites because you know what so-and-so did. 
Or, you know, I, I went to a business and the guy claimed to be a Christian and he cheated me. And I remember I had a pastor one time and he ran off with the secretary. You know, those things are terrible. No question about it. But I am not going to let it change what I believe about Jesus. And you shouldn't either. We need to contend for the faith. And the way we do that, make sure nothing comes between you and Jesus. Boy, my hope is not built on any preacher. It's on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Don't let anything get between you and Jesus. Make sure he and he alone is the center of your life. Walk with him. Talk with him. Be in communion with him all through the day. Don't let anything or anyone get in your way. Jesus has to be number one. Now, the second thing is don't let anything get between you and those spiritual disciplines that the Bible teaches us are necessary to keep that close relationship with Jesus. You see, it's hard to really get to know Jesus if you never talk to him. Well, in the church, we call that prayer. So you hear emphasis on prayer, and you think, well, why is that important? It's because that's the way that you talk to Jesus. It's a spiritual discipline. Don't let anything get between you and those spiritual disciplines, like prayer or reading the word. I had a conversation with a lady recently who had left our church, and I said, you know, all I was doing was preaching the gospel. All I was doing is <laughs> trying, trying to get people to accept this as the truth. And she just shook her head and said, well, that's not the way I see it. If you're in the word, you need to receive the word. Now, verse 20 and 21 says, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. That's spiritual disciplines. You've got to do something. And praying in the Holy Spirit. We're a Pentecostal church. We believe when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have that wonderful ability to speak with new tongues. To build yourself up. You know that you're praying in the will of God when you're praying in the Spirit. When I don't know how to pray, I pray in the Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus to bring you to eternal life. If you're taking notes, just write down these five things. These are five basic spiritual disciplines. Prayer, talking to God. Number two, Bible study, being, being in the word. Number three, fellowship with other Christians. It's really important to be around others. Fourth is worship. Man, always have a song of praise in your heart and on your lips. Worshiping the Lord, no matter what you're going through. You might be going through a storm, but God's still worthy of your praise. And as you worship him, friends, that's a spiritual discipline. And the fifth one is serving others. <laughs> that's what Jesus did. He came not to be served, but to serve us, to give his life. Keep each of those five things active in your life. Those are spiritual disciplines. Don't let anything come between you and those disciplines. I know you might like Dr. Phil. 
I know you might, you know, like to go out and walk your dog. I know you might like to play golf. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things unless they come between you and the spiritual disciplines that's going to keep you close to Jesus. As you devote yourself to prayer and grow in the knowledge of the word and spend time with God's people and spend time in God's presence and lose yourself in service to others, you will become rock solid in your faith. You'll be able to spot deception at a distance. You'll know when to exclude certain people, certain newscasts, certain podcasts, certain talk radio, whatever. You'll know that you need to exclude them because they're having a negative influence on you. Now, again, I just want to reiterate, Jude says, build yourself. You know what that means? You're responsible for your own spiritual growth. See it? I'm not responsible. I'm responsible to teach you the word. I'm you know, I, I've got responsibilities, but not for your spiritual growth. You have to feed yourself. Somebody else might cook a wonderful meal, might invite you to the table. But you have to feed yourself. You have to build yourself. You're responsible for your own spiritual growth. Your pastors and other leaders, we can do everything we can to help you. But as the old saying says, it's not biblical. I mean, it's a biblical principle, but it's not in the Bible. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Right? Okay. Notice Jude says, keep yourself in God's love. Like I told you, I could preach a, a, a whole series on this one book. I love Jude. Earlier in the letter, Jude says that we are kept by Jesus Christ. And at the close of the letter, Jude says that he is able to keep us. Who? Jesus. Jesus is the one able to keep me from falling if I keep myself in God's love. He's saying God will take care of you, so don't let go of him. Okay, the third thing. First of all, don't let anything get between you and Jesus, you and your spiritual disciplines, and then you and a life of mercy. Verse 21, that's where I picked up this point. It says, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Jude said that because he knew everybody in this church needed God's mercy. The faithful ones, the ones who are being influenced, and the deceivers. We all need God's mercy. And who's on the receiving end of mercy? Well, if you go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, which is one of the Beatitudes, it said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So think about that for a minute. If I need mercy, what do I have to do? Show mercy. Yeah. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. So that's why Jude continues here um, in verse 21, as you wait for the mercy of the Lord to bring you to eternal life. And then look at verse 22. Be merciful to those who doubt.
Sometimes I'm more judgmental than merciful. Sometimes I'm more angry than merciful. What about your brother and sister that's not doing so well? It says to be merciful to those who doubt. Then save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. See, there's going to be times in all of our lives that we're going to have friends, maybe family members, that begin to question their faith. Maybe they stumble a little bit. Maybe you have friends and family who have stumbled a lot. I'd encourage you, don't judge them. Show mercy. Show mercy. I mean, there's times that people do more than stumble. They fall. They get themselves dirty. Sometimes they're slow to get back up. The Bible teaches, reach down in love. Help them out of the mud. Then there will also be those who don't stumble in the mud, but willfully jump into the mud. You know, it drives you crazy, doesn't it? Like, how could they do that after all that God's done for them? And we watch them wallow in the mud and bask in it and take that road of destruction. And guess what the Bible tells us to do? Not to judge, but to show them mercy too. Don't let them pull you down, but instead you need to carefully pick them up. Jude is saying here basically everybody, every person you know deserves your mercy. Don't condescend to anyone. Give everyone you meet a hand up. We tend to grumble and complain when even our government helps the poor. We say, well, they don't deserve that. They should pull them up up, up on the bootstraps like I do. That's just my tax money. Man, where do we get those kind of attitudes? When God says that we should rejoice when the poor are helped and the poor are cared for. Everyone deserves mercy. Give everyone you meet a hand up. The Christian life is a life of mercy. Defines how God relates to us and it needs to define how we relate to others. Let's rejoice when people are blessed. Let's rejoice when they get a a free pass. It's okay. What's the urgent message of today's letter? It's the urgency of responsibility. And really, this is the bottom line, and I know you're thinking, well, how come you've rambled on for 35 minutes? You could have just given us the bottom line to begin with. Well, here's the bottom line. You are responsible for you, okay? In showing mercy, in rejoicing, in protecting yourself against deception, you're responsible for you, for what you think, what you believe, who you listen to, what you do. It's on you and it's on me to keep Jesus first in your life. 
It's on you and it's on me to be consistent in our spiritual discipline. And it's our responsibility to show mercy to the world around us as we receive mercy from God every day and await for the full expression of God's mercy in our life, which is eternal life. But it's up to us. And that, friends, I believe, is how we contend for the faith. Jesus, there's just so much in this book of Jude. It's been a full message, and in some ways a difficult message. But Lord, we thank you for your word that is sharper than that two-edged sword that can cut between the bone and the marrow. Lord, we don't want to just be Christ followers in name. We want our lifestyle to show that we're Christ followers. We want to be people of mercy. We want to be people who will not get sucked into deception. As hard as it is to give up our rights and follow you, I pray that your Holy Spirit will enable us to do that. That we won't get sucked into the, well, this is my right. This is mine. Realizing that everything we have is a good gift from a loving God. So, Lord, in the closing moments of this time that we've had together, I just pray that you will speak to each of our hearts, that you will take whatever we needed to hear today, that you will show us. Forgive us, Lord, for pointing out other people's faults. Forgive us for making excuses saying if my pastor would have been better, if my wife would have done this, if my husband just would have. God, help us to take responsibility for ourselves. Lord, most of all, give us the strength and the ability to stand firm, to contend for the faith, not to listen to all the outside loud voices of the day, but to contend for the faith to keep close to Jesus by the spiritual disciplines and to be people of love, grace, and mercy as you've demonstrated to us. And we thank you for it. In your wonderful, blessed name, amen. Let's stand together.